Welcome to the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. Weekly, we will be interviewing amazing chiropractors from around the world, finding out how they made their vitality shift. If you're a chiropractor that either wants to just move your practice away from treating pain and conditions, or if you just want to stay inspired, this podcast is for you. For more information on past shows, please visit www.drdonmcdonald.com and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. This is Dr. Don McDonald, your host. And I've had a lot of three-peaters on here lately. So this is third time back to the podcast. Um, as everyone knows, we're diving deep into the polyvagal theory, and that has also increased my uh, my brain and all these questions I want to I want to ask about heart rate variability. And the best person to talk to in the world about that in chiropractic is Dr. David Fletcher. So, welcome back to the podcast again. Oh, John, it's uh, it's a highlight to be invited for yet the third time, but it is fantastic, and I thank you. Uh, any chance I any chance that I get to speak through you to chiropractors, but especially to you, is a great day in my life. Yeah, so it's kind of cool because we get to hit two, uh, kill two birds with one stone, where we enjoy hanging out. Plus, uh, we yeah, like helping chiropractors exactly. at the same time. So it's uh, it's it's kind of amazing. A good life. So, first of all, how things been going for UNCLA through the pandemic? Like coming out of the, like how what do what are you seeing? What's your you got you got your finger on the pulse of the profession? What do you what do you see out there? I do. And, you know, I think one of the most important things I can tell you is, is that chiropractic really found its feet, its footing and found its feet during the pandemic for those that had embraced what you and I have always done, which is this um, this modeling. I think it's long past wellness. This this vitalistic approach um, finally became uh, something that people searched for instead of us having to invite them in. Um, they were they were on the street looking for rationale. I think that you know medicine played its true card. Public health through medicine played its true card, and sort of said this is the best that we can do. Hide from everything, and yes. the people that we came in contact with through our clients and through through the interactions that we had said that they thr- they were thriving throughout. And I think that uh, this goes in in long haulers uh, that are stuck with it. These are in the in the enriched families and engaged families that were participatory. Um, sure, everybody had a concern about it. Let's not let's not sugarcoat something that isn't there. Um, there was no cavalier approach that said it doesn't exist or anything else. It was more like, let's do what we know we need to do. And so this embracing of the power from within, uh, which has always been not only the chiropractic message, but obviously the subluxation centered in CLA's positioning, uh, put us front and center. So needless to say, we became a voice of reason and a voice of, of, of uh, intellectual discussion that went on, um, not specifically about the vid, but more, more or less about, about what it is like to run a practice business within that model. Um, our guys flourished and uh, we saw huge growth in CLA during that time frame, um, which is really representative of huge growth within that sector of people that embraced our ideals. And so what what are some commonalities you found in chiropractors that actually did well through the pandemic, through the pandemic and then coming out of it? Um, I think that they brought their staff into the game and meaning that they they didn't didn't step into it halfway. They sort of didn't say, well, maybe we can bring people in. They had a they had a clear indication as to what their role was. And they embraced and taught their staff to to embrace that model. So the team was very much seen as what it was. Mm -hmm. Number two. Uh, because everybody was fascinated in the public with being tested, using a testing system like the Insight, 
really began to make more sense to everyone. And so they utilized the, the, the tools that we had put in place and they started to really build even more structured care planning around the necessity to be tested and frequently evaluated through the on-table assessments and then topping it off with the examinations. I think that what we saw consistently were that there was a two-pronged approach is that people needed information for transformation and the second was they needed inspiration they needed of they needed kindness and when we start talking about this polyvagal theory this is exactly what it is they needed an empathetic human being to to touch them to tell them it's going to be okay and the people that we embraced that were in that game they had the tools they had hrv they had emg they had thermography to show the people they were that you know it wasn't all unicorns and roses you know, people got sick and people didn't flourish, but they knew someone was watching over them. They knew that there was a, a trusted advisor and that was where this came out. And so um, interestingly, the commonality, Don, was that family, we track all this data. Don't forget, we have our, not only our pulse on it, but we can observe trends within huge stacks of data. We're, like we're, we're doing on average now somewhere around uh, five and a half, six million scans and that's that's scan wow. sequences on a yearly basis. So, you know, we're we're watching trends. We're seeing way more kids coming into our 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 post pandemic uh, world. We're seeing um, reexaminations being consistently redone, and we're starting to see that the trends are that HRV took a heck of a hit during certain cycles. But once people got over the hump of the fear, they started to stabilize. And so this, you know, I think we'll probably talk about the, you know, the ventral vagal approach and everything else that goes along with it really is mappable when you look at these, these, these megatrends that go along with it. Chiropractors who use HRV appropriately, who are looking at autonomic shift, who are looking at, at empowering people to make strong and better decisions with a trusted advisor group. That's what CLA clients, what you are like, that's where chiropractic flourished. Now, and, and just before we get into HRV, I just have a question. This is just an observation myself too, and and uh, and we'll get into this in one of the states of the, the autonomic states that's labeled through yeah. the polyvagal theory. But because people were basically uh, drenched in fear, and some people have a default default fear going sympathetic dominant, and and other people have a default fear to dorsal vagal, which is collapse. Yes, it's like boom. Yeah, right. Collapse. Now, the thing with the pandemic I found was because so many people were forced to immobilize. So like there was fear. Are, this is huge because but, this is why EMG builds into this whole storyline. Yes, because then they were actually forced to go dorsal vagal because they could not mobilize. Because usually when someone's um, an active stressor, <laughs> an active stressy person, usually they get stressed out and then they mobilize and take action or do something or makes them more busy and they move around. So what I, what I found was that because so many people were locked down, uh, often I got tons of new people coming in and their surface EMGs are just like white or scar tissue, like absolutely, because it's just actually been <laughs> shut down. And so, um, like in the past, it seems like a lot of times before you'd, you'd see, you'd see people more sympathetic, which be kind of active, active, um, uh, flexion in the, in the spine with yeah. those paraspinals. And now I'm, I'm seeing, and I feel it's almost like scar tissue or inactivity or stagnation in the spine. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, which is why you want to blend whatever active technologies you have 
to read the person's you know, input and output. It's really always been about input and output. And you really want to just understand what type of output, whether it's, you know, neuroskeletal or whether it's autonomic, you need to be comfortable to know that you're getting the whole story of this. So somebody looking at that all white EMG study might go, hey, lucky you, you know, you're there. And really they're in shutdown. And uh, one of the things that when we built the uh, HRV tracking graph, which we call the rainbow graph, which is there, I mean, I think, and and Dr. Kent and I put that together, I think that one of the brilliant things that happened in that is that we made it into this four quadrant model. And the four quadrant model, you know, I I think one of the things people are really naive about is that HRV is not a teeter-totter. You know, it's not this some some very, you know, um, binary process of you have too much sympathetic and not enough parasympathetic. It's very complex because it's associated with what you just discussed there of energetics that are flowing to try and either top up the adaptability or they're locked down. When somebody is sympathetic dominant, their vagal break may be broken. You know, that that that's one of the things. And when I mean broken, they may they may go through the ventral vagal process, but then they may actually jump into that reptilian brain and be completely frozen in time, you know, or they're done. You're gonna see those people not only with their autonomic shift and balance occurring from left to right, but you're gonna see the drop. And the most deadly approach is when they have entered into that dorsal vagal, you know, moment of where they've dropped down in tone. So they have very low amplitude of responsiveness and they are now locked what we show as a parasympathetic dominant. But don't be misconstruing that because parasympathetic dominant means that they are completely sympathetic insufficient, meaning when they're that low. And what that means is, is that they can't even respond to stress because they're in lockdown, because they're in that frozen state of immobility. And that is when you combine that with the EMG studies of, as you said, low tone. If you have the ability to use the pattern graph, which is not just the amplitude graph, which are the white bars, but the pattern graph, it shows you this tracking mechanism from brain to body, body to brain responsiveness in the skeletal motor system. And as a consequence of that, when you're taking a look at that with these, you know, category four, we call them low right plot points, you're looking at people that are deadly vulnerable, like deadly vulnerable. They can't even respond to the sympathetic cues because they are like this down there. Right. Don't get many of those, honestly. No, because no, they probably wouldn't even get into You're dead. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but, but Don, those are sometimes these long haulers of yeah. where they're now starting to drift down into this deadly lockdown. And it's, the, it's, it's a final stage of this you know, drifting process that goes along with it. What you're going to see in almost all cases is what we call low, low third quadrant, which means they're they're tanking their autonomic responsiveness. Um, generally, they're yeah. they're having a lowered responsiveness, so adaptability in their reserve is lower than it should be. And we're looking at 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 the HRV actual calculations in that. So they have a low HRV to put that into perspective. Right. But but then we look at the skew that's going on and they remain mired in that sympathetic dominant state and they drift even further out of balance before they drop down into category four. And the scary part of that is, is that they're not only physiologically in trouble, but 
at the same time as they've been drifting down, whether it's cause or effect or whatever, these people have become socially inept, which is where the, the vagal, you know, polyvagal theory is at its most brilliant, yeah. is the neurobehavioral model, which means the neuroplastic model for these, these people has been mm-hmm. so damaged that they are trying to interpret their entire life through completely clogged filters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a terrible way to go through life. Oh, hundred percent. And I, I think, and, and I was just curious too, because um, what's funny, because just when we were talking with uh, Dr. Stephen Porges and, and when he kind of came up with the whole polyvagal theory, he found uh, it was a lot with premature babies and how oh. the, the sudden infant death syndrome and, and when they were measuring them, they were more parasympathetic because in our mm-hmm. mind, we've always been taint trained mm-hmm. all the way through parasympathetics. Good. Sympathetics are bad. And that's what actually that question, because he had that is educated mind. That's what had him develop it to to find out that there was that, that, that extra branch of the vagus, which is on the other end of it, which is dorsal collapse. And I'm just curious, like, just because I don't know is how do you measure sympathetic versus parasympathetic on the information on HRV? Um, you're looking at LF and HF, uh, and then so those are the frequency bands that are that are included when you're doing. So in any type of um, in any type of electrical um, activity, EKG, anything that's looking at it, you're looking at frequencies that are going through an electrical band. Okay. And I noticed I did a wave format when I did that. So those are frequencies, yeah. and frequencies have two components. They have they have uh, symmetry, this the amount of symmetrical relationship they have, and they have amplitude. How high is the wavelet that you're looking at? So the combination of sim- symmetry and amplitude are associated with what we can then determine is the degree of frequency that 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 is happening. So frequency means how fast is it going right. in that in that that zone. And so, interestingly, the high-frequency band is associated with the firing of the vagus nerve. And the low-frequency band is the firing of the sympathetic um, sympathetic through the adrenergic models of the neurotransmitters. So, we now can take a view, and then there's, then there's a third band, yeah. which is so, it's so slow. It has such a long frequency that it is, it's a VLF, which is called very low frequency. And it doesn't even come into play in, in sometimes even a five-minute test. But if you're a cardiologist, you're really interested in VLF because yeah. it's looking at the pathology of, of the rhythm in the heart. But in a chiropractic setting, HF and LF ratios are where you're getting this balance and where you're getting this relationship between which one is dominant and which one isn't. And then when we talk about, so that's the, that's the type of frequency or the ratios of frequency that you have, yeah. but then we need to know the amplitude. And in other words, if they're doing this, that's interesting, but if they're doing this, that means they have a lot of amplitude in them. And right. the amount of amplitude is related to the amount of adaptive responsiveness when you compare the balance that they're in. So there's a lot going on. Yeah. And that's why we, that's why our four quadrant plot gives you a beautiful thing. That fourth quadrant I was just talking about, that's dorsal vagal. Right. That's dorsal vagal down there. And we came across this. I get really excited if it doesn't show. That's we, we came across this in sort of the same way that Porges, as you're describing it, did as well. Because we were looking at, you know, and I described it first as this teeter-totter. You don't really, you're sort of trained to believe that, you know, sympathetic, bad, parasympathetic, good. And we started to see really sick people on the 
parasympathetic side. Yeah. Now, if you got a little bit of height, in other words, your amplitude is still a little bit up on the parasympathetic parasympathetic side, but you're but you're locked in. Yeah. This is where you're in almost a hypoadrenic state. And you and I know that better than anybody walking this planet, because yeah. both you and I have had hypoadrenia, which is associated with, you know, great intention, poor performance. Yeah, totally. <laughs> burn it, burn it out, baby. Oh, burn it out. <laughs> they, which means that you can't engage, listen to this, you can't engage your sympathetic response, which means you're super vulnerable. It starts out as being sympathetic dominant, but once you've exhausted the system, it becomes parasympathetic dominant when you track it on the graphing. And that's not good. That's when you start to use your other metrics like EMG, and we recommend regional autonomics like thermography as well, just to get a feel for where this distressful moment is. But even just checking range of motion, you're going to find the people in that parasympathetic dominant dorsal vagal, if you want to call it, have immobility, their range of motion is stalled, their life is stalled. If you take a moment and just ask them, do you feel like you're sitting on the couch more than you ever used to? You know, that sort of thing where they're they're making poor, you know, uh, sociological decisions as to who they are, whatever else. And then you start to get as they go down, you know, we, we, we move from ease to now dyshyphenated ease to disease. When they hit that fourth quadrant that's immobile, and lockdown, they're sick. Yeah, and they, it's they, funny because I, I totally when I'm ta- when I'm talking to practice members, I'm I'm saying that's passive loss of range of motion or passive tension. Mm-hmm. That means it's not actively guarding. It just means no, you're passively you're it yeah. just it's just stuck compared to active active restricted range of motion because that's where we're firing up the sympathetic or so the, the surface EMG. Look, whenever I get in, let's talk EMG for just a brief moment here. So what we, what I love to see, I know this is sort of counterintuitive for people because they're so wired into this. I'm a hero. I can make anything perfect again, you know? Yep. You know, we, we fall into that trap because we're there, but we work with rules. There are rules in which the autonomic nervous system has to tune itself. There are rules under which the physiology has to work. And we work with the rules of nature as chiropractors. When I adjust somebody, I am looking at their EMG, I am thrilled on especially the first progress exam scan that they light up like a Christmas tree, like that they have, they have absorbed new energy from here. It's, it, it's fantastic. Now, I'm looking then secondarily at patterns because I want to see really stuck in and restrictive patterns, that passive restriction that you're talking about, uh, whether it's on HRV or EMG. I want to see those dissipating. I want to see them breaking up. I don't care. I mean, in the intelligence of reorganization, I want to see compensations being tapped into in different regions of the spine, in different regions in which their heart rate is mobilizing. I want to see living responses, vital metrics that they're saying, I'm alive again. Thank you for waking up. And Don, I, I think that this is, this is where the, the language of the old school chiropractic has been needing to be shifted. Yeah. And I think you and I are, uh, and, and Brandy and Nancy and everybody who we affiliate with is on the exact same page. I've always said that it isn't the, it isn't the, the, reduction of the subluxation. It's the re-engagement. It's the reactivation of the nervous system that is the key to what happens when we are 
moving people forward in a vitalistic model. And that doesn't mean that we want to live with subluxations. We want to have the subluxation under view. We want to view it because we can't remove it. We, can, we can't remove it. That's surgery. What we can do is we can re-engage the vitalistic forces within that human being so it no longer needs a subluxation in play. Yeah, and, and it's, I was just going to say it's funny because I always say that subluxation is not like a light switch, so it's not on or off. No. It's more, it's more like a volume control. And, and what we're trying to do is whenever we have subluxation, we have, we don't have full movement in the system and movement is information, right? It's we talk about information. We and talk about, I was going to say, we just talk about like the protein, right? The, the only, like uh, Bruce Lipton always says this, the, the only way to tell between a live and dead protein on an electron microscope is movement because yeah. that's the foundation of everything. And so it's, it's more of a volume control. And so we're trying to keep, I call it the mo- movement momentum and that's why we're not reducing it or getting rid of the subluxation. We're just, we're trying to keep the system in yeah. motion. And, and that's, I think, so critical why we refer to them as emotions, mm-hmm. you know, meaning that, that the way we think and emote about things is related to that movement you're talking about. And movement is vital. And so I know that we talk a lot about neurology and, and so often in chiropractic, because we were brought up with that bone out pinches nerve causes problem principle sort of embedded in us that this whole idea of, of a wiring harness that's gotten, you know, gotten construed and misconstrued and bent and twisted really a mechanistic view of a vitalistic function is, is very difficult to, to take past that idea of being therapy. And, and when we enter into a relationship with patients, it's always an intention to say, Therapy is necessary to gain back your control, you gaining back your control. Our job is to enliven your powerful systems from within so that the blockages and the passage, the, the passage interruptions that you have are able to dissipate without having to, to work outside of that. Your physiology is going to change. Your And that's salutogenesis, right? Your physiology yes. is going to change. There's no need to have obstructions if there's no need to have obstructions. And, and, and then we start to canalize and retrain the brain at all levels, you know, at, at, at the most primal level, which is the ability of the brainstem to talk back to the physiology of the, of the person. I mean, that's where, that, you know, we're pretty darn close to that when we're upper cervical, you know, with the whole yeah. thing. And what do we do with upper cervical? We give it a new jolt. We, we, we don't remove something. We give an input so we get greater output. Affrontation, disaffrontation. Well, I always like to think of it like, and I and I also relate movement to safety, uh, because if something is unrestricted through its full motion, that that that's a safety cue to the nervous system. Yeah. And if something is restricted, doesn't matter where it is. Um, but again, we have higher nerve centers that will have a bigger impact on the autonomic nervous system. But that's what we're trying to do is create safe movement, safety in the nervous system, not like pushing it in or pushing it out. No, I, I love that. And, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, I don't know if you've ever seen those flashlights, but there are those, those flashlights oh, yes. that yes. a candle on them. And they're, they're great because, you know, if you run out of batteries, you never run out of batteries. They only work with movement. But right. that's the way that we entrain, and which I love the word entrainment, of yeah. where we entrain our brain function is through this input, through this, this repetitive motion that goes along. And you know, before, this is very interesting because 
you know, when we evolved as human beings from four-legged mammals to two-legged mammals, we, we did so at the same time that we were evolving socialization. And the whole idea was is that when we became upright, we could view our world, but we had to be able to move in it, not only to protect ourselves, but the development of the brain through, through the um, cortical processes where we evolved from a reptilian to an avian to, you know, the other type of brains was directly related to our ability to navigate in gravity. And when we could navigate in gravity, the number one purpose of that was so that we could explore. And when we were exploring, we were understanding through radiation and creation what we were able to participate in. In other words, we weren't stuck in this simple mammalian brain. We could build a cortices that was associated with it. And and so, look, intuitively, we talk neurology, but you have to have a neuroskeleton. You have to be able to have a gravitational experience or you can't play in this beautiful playground we call Earth. Yes. It's, it's a gravitational field. So that's why chiropractic is so genius, is that it was, it's not a neuroscience based on pathology. It's a neuroscience based on coordination which is one of the biggest principles. And to have a coordination that matters, it has to be coherent. And that's when now when we start, start talking coherence, we're start talk, starting to talk autonomic you know, versus motor function. And once we start autonomic, I mean, in the early days, the autonomic was a wiring harness that said organ function and physiology. Important. Yeah. But that's not what we do with autonomics. What we do with autonomics is that we engage, engage, mm -hmm. engage. And that's where we have to really look at our outcomes in a chiropractic setting. And truthfully, there's nothing better than that than looking at this combination of HRV, the way it's plotted, the way that EMG plots and the way that thermography plots, because you're getting this beautiful window. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, listen, I've learned most of this through the mentors that I've, I've associated with. But the one thing that I know was that as a practicing chiropractor, when I had the right, when I had the right tools, if you would, meaning my coaching mentorship and the right tools, which were to embrace this vitalistic model, I was so confident. I was just so confident that my practice blew up. But most importantly, I finally found out why I chose to be a chiropractor, as weird as that sounds. Oh, I know. And actually, it's funny thing is the more I've dived into the polyvagal theory, it just it blows my mind that they have such a great language to explain what we're doing. <laughs> one of the things that um, that just struck my mind was the, th the one of my big ahas was in the brainstem, right where the, the, the nucleus of the vagus um, yeah. is innervated is right close to cranial nerve five, cranial nerve seven, cranial and, and cranial nerve 11. Right. So Pharyngeal nerve. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's all with the occiput, right? With yep. the shoulder and all that stuff. Now that whole unit is the social engagement system, which is really cool. And that is the, they call it the face heart connection. And oh, so, and, yeah. and, and so your face does not lie about your heart. So this is another thing that, that I find is useful with HRVs because we can match it. Right. So if someone looks like they have a good HRV or, or, or we do, we're not sure of where it's plotting on the first visit, you just got to look at their face because yeah. that will tell us. That. And, and again, I want to go through a couple different states and ask where you think that might be on the, on the HRV, but, sure. but it, it connects like, and also until the brainstem detects safety through the social engagement system, yeah. it, it 
won't turn on the prefrontal cortex. So that was the big thing. When I asked Dr. Stephen Porges about like cool research we were doing in chiropractic about the prefrontal cortex. And he said, that's really cool. He said, but if you just go down a step, our body needs to be in a state of safety before that even can come online. And and I think that's why if we're, if we're only measuring the prefrontal cortex, we're going to see differentials in different people, depending on what autonomic state they're in when we're measuring them. Uh, Listen, there's a couple of things that you've said that really trigger some interesting, you know, next thoughts is that I think it's wonderful to show that when you have an input, it's, it's, it's reflected in brain-based or cortical function. I think that's mm-hmm. brilliant, and I think that it's there. I can also tell you that if I kick you in your shin, it's going to show up in the prefrontal cortex too. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, it has to be useful information, and that's why, the, why we have to look at chiropractic as not an intervention of the moment, but of this trained experience. When someone has been living in that dorsal ventral, gosh forbid, you know, it's dorsal ventral in their life, but that passive modeling of, of HRV or of parasympathetic tone, we'll call it. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a person who has shut down. And we, when we're looking at it, and I'm writing a paper right now, which is very interesting on neuroplastic care planning, mm-hmm. because the modeling is based on, on this neuroplasticity, which is time repetition modeling that's going along with that. But the, but the really interesting thing is, is that this naivety of chiropractors to try and believe that there's something outside of the rules of, of, of law, of physiology and otherwise, it's a hopeful thing. Like, don't get me wrong. There are miracles that happen at the moment, but the real miracle is when they set the tone of their nervous system back to where it should have been long before they ended up in this crisis moment. If they're downright, you have to be willing to stand for them and tell them that the length and breadth of their care could span months and years for them to get back into a rhythm of it. You have to you have to slay the dragons in your own life of of the fear of rejection of somebody saying, well, you're just doing it for the money or you're putting a care plan together that's way too bad. And you have to know that, you know, that, you know, that it has nothing to do with the outside world. It's between you and that person because you love them and care for them enough to tell them the truth. That's how I I call the law of cause and effect because because for people like me, like the empathetic people that are more likely to feel bad about (laughs) themselves when they try to like create a boundary with somebody, this is a way to just kind of put it outside yourself. And you say, yeah, my joke is I didn't actually, I didn't create the human body. Just so you know, I I didn't make this system. (laughs) I just have over time learned what the instruction manual is like that. That's that's the rules. You know, if you do this, you can expect this. If you do this, you can. I had a patient the other day. It was hilarious. They came in and they're all upset because they were under regular care and then they stopped and then they got worse and then they got back under regular care and then they're better again. And I'm like, I like, I don't know what to tell you because like I go to the gym and I get in good shape and then I don't go to the gym and then I don't get in good shape. But if I want to get in good shape and not go to the gym, like, I don't know what to tell you because that's the law of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but along that line, and I think that and and I think that as we sort of walk this path, I think that's one of the genius of what brought uh, chiropractic in its in its own lexicon to the forefront was that life is an expression of tone. You know, that's yeah. Didi's words in 1904. 1910, 1904. Anyhow, life is an expression of tone. And what you just described there, whether it's in a gym or whether it's neural exercising, which is the adjustment and the activities that we do to to tone it all speak to tone. 
And when you put your focus on tone and patterns and you understand tonality as in tuning of the nervous system, then you start to say, well, what is the purpose of my adjustment? Am I just being a carny show act trying to get a pop and a crack out of something that any monkey can do? Or am I actually resetting the tone of the different layers of the structures, the, the neuromuscular layer, the neuroskeleton that's in there, the autonomic tone? Mm-hmm. But you can't guess at that stuff. You got to be able to measure it. Well, and it's funny because it, it, like we, we've kind of created a McDonald safety corridor protocol like that. And it's not a new technique, but what is just a different lens when you're looking through yeah. things. And a lot of techniques are really good. They always say post check, like always post check. Yeah. But if it's only a leg check or it's only a muscle test, um, it, like it, it's harder to really connect with them. And the funny thing is when the body is in danger, uh, it fire neuroception fires physiology and most people are unaware of their physiology. So actually we will usually de- be able to detect if their if their physiology is detecting danger, even when they're not, when they don't even know. Yeah. And so, so I find that that's the important thing about after an adjustment is to bring their attention back to the area of the physiology and see if they can notice that we have retuned it yeah, as, it's, it. as it starts to read or to read. Cause it is, it is true. We're all about the tone, but that's, that's part of the difference between, I think just popping and praying you want to m- make sure did, did I create change? Yeah. And, and I love the way you said that is that they have to self-identify mm-hmm. to make sure that they're locking that into their consciousness, not just hearing what you think is a good, a good attaboy. Yeah. You know, at a boy, it worked. Well, I'd like to know that. And I think it's really important that this is this collaboration. And when you get really good at this, this is spontaneous. Right. This is this is that one touch. I, I mean, when I was I was deeply involved in the early days with Talski and with Holder, you know, just because they were this this sort of organized approach to a tonality model that I appreciated. Yeah. And they codified, I think it was probably Talski more than Holder, but you know, it doesn't really matter. But yeah. they codified 14 different we'll call them post checks that you would say, or identifiers of the subluxated state. And, you know, they were all, they were other than the, other than the obvious, you know, like, uh, you know, palpatory or using that, um, using like instrumentation or otherwise, they were all self-awareness. Those were self-awareness, your breath. They were self-awareness in, in terms of body position and posture. They were all about that. And, And if people took themselves seriously as chiropractors, and you can do it. I mean, Don, how many people do you see a day and don't answer? But it was the same as me and the rest of us. It's it's so smooth and easy to do it right and to do it so you see it'll inhale a lot of people. So when you get it right, and if we can do say it this way in the most respectful of ways, the payday is enormous, meaning you feel whole inside. The economics of doing it right pay for themselves a million times over. Um, I, I just don't understand why, why chiropractors with this kind of knowledge, like this podcast and working with CLA or anything else like that, is so difficult for people to see the value in, like that everyone should do it. Why? Because it's our birthright. It's what works. Well, and again, I, we just because we are, we're, we're like... Like we're connected to a lot of chiropractors as well, like just helping them in the trenches. And and we know for sure it's because they're in fear because when they're in fear, 
it's almost like that, like you said, that prefrontal cortex just kind of shuts off those new ideas. So it, it is, it is challenging. That's why a lot of times when we're working with chiropractors, we actually need to retune our own nervous systems yeah. because until we can become socially engaged, it's hard to be able to be that aware of other people and other people's physiology when we're not even aware of our own physiology. Now, I love that you're you're sort of taking this movement that's being associated, you know, like the polyvagal theory and then applying the chiropractic principles with it and to it and, you know, working with it. And, and I'll say that when we started HRV, um, it was in it was as early as 2005. 06 is when we launched, but we started to get really involved in it in 05 and no one was touching it. Except there was there was HeartMath had started just recently doing it. And Christopher started to work with Roland McCready. So there was Doc Chidray and Roland McCready. Now, these guys were Roland was a great guy, is a great guy. And he's very familiar with the whole salutogenic modeling. And he was a he was a student very clearly of um, uh, of Antonovsky's. And as a consequence of that, they built their whole principle of heart math around SOC, which is state of coherence. And as a consequence of that, they, they were using it. But this is where they took the left turn, is that they what they did was they moved it into the corporate setting. And I, I'm not going to judge one way or the other. That's their path. But they used a tool that was very standard, very reproducible and capable. And what they did was they brought breath into it. They knew very clearly that you had to have this, this, this paced breathing approach or this engaged breathing approach to get your parasympathetics re-engaged. And I think that this is one of the things that chiropractors have to recognize is that assessment doesn't do it all. Assessment opens the door for you to have your super skills come out now. And that doesn't mean therapy. You know, you're not going to do a great job building somebody's HRV up by putting them on physiotherapy equipment, but you can give them advice Mm -hmm. and you can do, you know, neurologically trained, skeletal trained exercises, movement orientations that take two seconds to do, or you can have a, a staff member work with them. And so we've really embraced this with our CLA clients, this modeling, which says, this is your door opener. This is where you need to posit your next steps in terms of the education of the client. Mm-hmm. And I, I brought in H. I brought in um, uh, HeartMath because I honor them and acknowledge them. They they were pathfinders in this whole idea. And I don't think I think that we learn so much from them and put ourselves into the HeartMath model of learning through the chiropractic lens, what we could do. And I really believe that if a chiropractor is using HRV there, and I don't want to be self-serving here, but we put the energy into it is that they really should be looking at the chiropractic application of HRV, not a subset of that. Right. And that means that the, all the databases that we compare to are based on chiropractic outcomes all the relationships that we have, all the communication we have within our reporting is based upon this idea of bringing back ease into a system of looking for tone and pattern. And look, it's if you're going to get into this game, play with the right tools. It's just easier. Right. And you don't struggle, which is what you guys have done. No, I know. We love, well, like I said, I've, I've never practiced without CLA stuff. And it's funny, oh, I, I just, I just interviewed, uh, Dr. Christopher Kent. So he's coming out just before this one. So we got, oh, the inter- we have the interviews back to back. Okay. Now just for all my people, 
peeps yeah, out there yeah. who are, um, you know, we're all going through this polyvagal stuff, stuff together. Uh, we're just going to be doing our interviews with Dr. Stephen Porges in a couple of weeks. And so I just want to go through a couple of different autonomic states and just ask you yeah. where they might just track on the HRV in, in CLA, just as far as the way the scale well, we, goes. We'll talk through CLA lens, but I'm sure that people will hear it, you know, whichever, whichever way it goes. Um, so the first part is uh, obviously ventral vagal. That's the social engagement system. That's kind of the target we want to be. And that one's probably pretty easy because you'd be in the green square. Well, that would be the ideal. Ish. But don't forget, don't forget that it, they can still be in ventral vagal, but have low amplitude. Okay. Meaning that the balance is in good order, meaning yeah. that they're engaging a parasympathetic modeling or the break is engaged. But they are, they have low tone, meaning that they have been damaged. They haven't quite gotten there yet. So although they, let's just put it this way, it's progressive. And I think that I think that this is one of the joys of looking in sequential measurements of it. And I and I listen, if we we have a tool that is being developed right now, which is where we're going to send it home with patients so that they can analyze themselves on a daily basis. But that data then flows into our algorithms. And so it plots to the chiropractor. So they're in that, that modeling. But we now, right now, you know, measure them on intervals, which are based on days and weeks, right? right. You know, 12 visit models and things like that. And the value of that, the value of that is that HRV in a clinical setting like that, in a therapeutic intentional setting, not to see, I use the principle of the kick in the shin, you know, it's going to show up in neurology where you are. Right. We're looking at setting new canalization, you know, neurology that fires together, wires together. When Christopher, and I'm sure he talked about this, when Christopher built his 3D model, the greatest aspect then shifted into the 4D model of disaffrontation. HRV is one of the biggest ways in which you can look at disaffrontation or at reaffrontation, if you want to say. And so it's the tracking. I mean, this is this is clearly Lipton's work, you know, is that you're now engaging into it so that you're not in that state of, you know, survival all the time. Long answer for it. The green zone is the ideal target zone and there are ranges within it. But if you're tracking towards the green zone, you're engaging the ventral vagal. Okay, you're engaging the ventral vagal. You're just not not fully amplitude driven yet in that area. Cool, and, and like I said, neurology is always gradient stuff, right? And and we're going to talk yeah, about we're going to talk about yeah. the the paired states too. So we talk about okay, sympathetic is obviously to the right, to okay. left, or oh, sorry, to, to the left, left. sorry, it's to, to the left, left. Yeah. Um, and then dorsal vagal or or the the the, the parasympathetic right. dorsal will be down to the right. Okay, down right, yeah. Now the other th these are now interesting states. So. so the state of play is when we have pairing with ventral vagal and yeah. sympathetics. Upper left. So that would be upper upper left. Upper so left. it means that they're that they're engaging more of the sympathetics, but they have tons and tons and tons of amplitude yep. out in that area. It's not a danger zone. It's yep. a playful zone. And and actually, even when they're in a state of coherence, they then re-engage, but they have plenty of parasympathetic tone to pull them back in. Yeah. So again, because they like recover, period. like as you say, you get into that sympathetic, because that's like playing a sport, getting in the zone, yeah. adjusting, adjusting. We're kind of, we're because mm -hmm. sympathetics are important. Like that gives us the energy, right? So that's, that's socially engaged sympathetics. Yeah. And, and I do have to say this is there, that sympathetics recently have taken a very bad hit, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of their, their public appearance. And the truth is, is that parasympathetics are ideal, you know, I mean, let the, that's the joyfulness of it, but the, but the, the spice of life 
is on the sympathetic side. It's like you said, it's the playful engagement that goes along with it. And, 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 and it's really this interplay between sympathetic, parasympathetic, whatever else. And you don't want to drop into that dorsal vagal. Not at right. all. Now, the next state is more like kind of the intimate state or a relaxed, connected state. So this is where you pair Upper. ventral vagal and dorsal. Yeah, the yeah. ventral vagal is, sorry, I should say dorsal vagal is under the influence yeah. of ventral Upper vagal. right. So right. Right. And so this means that they they have a little more of a skew, but they're, they're towards the parasympathetic tonality, but they have enough amplitude within it to, so that it doesn't drop them into a dorsal vagal, you know, throughout the process. And, and this of, is this is a this is outside the green box, too. Right. You, oh, yeah. Kind of no, no. yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. We refer to that as the Navy SEAL plot. Is that is that these are ultimately trained people, but they're at ease with their with their with their exogenous outputs, meaning that they are they are slightly they are in this case the parasympathetic tone is real. It's not sympathetic insufficiency when right. it's up in there. So it's it's very much that engagement, but it's that peaceful. It's the peaceful warrior. Yeah, it's the peaceful. That's right. That's like this, like intimacy, watching movies, connecting, yeah. chilling out, just having, having conversation like what we do and have like, you know, have a, maybe a couple of drinks, just chill out and connect. I, I have to tell you, it's a rare state to, to analyze. Yeah. It's, you just don't see enough of it. Like, right. well, especially you know, nowadays, because there's no, no, because there's no connection, there's going to be hardly anybody above the box on either side. I, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it, it, I refer to I refer to our HRV system, but any HRV system is truth serum, meaning it tells the it tells the the state you're in, and um, you know this idea of the quadrants has made such an easy interpretive model of it. Now the last one, this is the one that I found extremely interesting studying into this, which might put a lot of chiropractors into confusion. Of course. And it's called, it's basically the disc dysregulated dysautonomia. And, and this is when a system's been in such a state of shock. It's, it's stuck in the dorsal, but what it does is it shifts from dorsal to sympathetic and it shifts, yeah. it just keeps shifting back and forth. So in my mind, obviously that artificially look like a higher heart rate variability when it's actually dysautonomia. What, yeah, like, I think what, you... I think what you'll find is is that the ability. The, I think what you'll probably find is that it's it's mid zone down between quadrant three and four, but closer to the midline. And what wow. I mean by that is it can shift back and forth. It hasn't decided which side of the world it's playing on. It will flop back and forth depending on state and depending where it's at. But I think Don, more than anything, for our listeners and more importantly for all the people that are are interested in it. Amplitude is massive when it comes to responsiveness. And as a consequence, the height of the of that wave of that frequency. And the, the, the point is, is that laterality or the shift from, from sympathetic to, to parasympathetic and vice versa is, is what triggers much of the draining of the amplitude. But if a person has learned to live, and this is where they've learned to adapt and compensate, they can live a, a a life with a lot of masks on. Right. But when they get stressed, the masks show their true underlying process. That's right. when you get midline, you get close to midline, but low amplitude. So they'll be on our scale. They would probably be in the 50s and 60s of that pulse wave profiling model. 
Okay. And that's low. 50, 60s, 40, 50, 60s down in that zone. Now, if you have someone where, you know, you've, you've done your case history, um, you know, your life history, you just get a vibe. This person is not ideal and they have, they happen to plot somewhere in the green area. Um, what, yeah. what the first thing you'd probably do is make sure that it was connected, right? That they didn't move. Like what, what are some, what are some thoughts that you do when you go, Hey, this doesn't really match what I, what I'm getting in the history. Number one, medications. It's, right. It's, Number one is medications. When I see an uncharacteristic plot that doesn't match the history, doesn't match, you know, you talked about this is this is that you're doing the history on a patient. They're this, yeah, you know, they're they're like, they can't look at you in the eye. They can't look at you. Like, they're, like, they're like this. Yeah. And you go, oh, well, that's going to show us this HRV that's low. And you take a look and it's high. Um, the other, believe it or not, is recreational use of drugs, too. Whether uh, it's 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 like marijuana now and stuff, too. Yeah. These things really play up and, and it could be, you know, inappropriate alcohol use. There, it doesn't have to be prescribed drugs alone. So, right. so medication-based drugs or otherwise will alter HRV significantly. Um, so just remember that. It's not always what they're telling you. It's what they're not telling you right. that, that does it. Um, obviously, ectopic motions. Uh, the easiest way to do it, it's a three-minute test. You know, we've 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 scaled it so that three minutes is the adequate number of of uh, intermediate intervals to to make a, a valuable distinction. Um, retest it because yep. um, they may have been doing some weird stuff. Like when we do the testing on ours, done, we purposely don't do paced breathing during the testing. We purposely say this is we want to catch you at where your physiologic norm is at right. rest. And so those are the two things that come to mind exactly. Yeah. The third thing that comes to mind is that to their benefit, they actually haven't failed yet. Meaning as, as crazy as that seems, mm -hmm. I had this one, I had this one guy who was, who was there and it was in the early days and we were building these models out of, of how to interpret HRV. And I got exactly that one. Mm -hmm. Now, he had been under my care. He was on disability insurance. He was a great guy. He used marijuana daily so that he could he could cope with chronic pain and the rest of it. And he kept scoring like bing, bing, bing in the green zone, you know, bing, bing, yeah. bing. Yeah. And so I took him aside and I said, Michael, what is it that does it? And he said, you have to ask me, Doc. He said, I've been coming to see you for 10 years. He said, I've been coming to see you for 10 years long before I was injured and everything else. He said, my nervous system is tuned. Like, and he didn't use those terms, but he was, he was saying the same thing. I'm in that zone because I work at it. Yeah. And what you don't know from the person in front of you on the front thing is what they're really doing to work at it. And so don't dismiss them until, right. until you've done a couple of tests on them to see what, what their compensations are. That's great. All right. Well, our time we actually went over, but it was it was going too good. So there was too much good information. So I wanted to, to continue that. Fun. That was too great. So so thanks very much for coming on. Um, I would just like to end the podcast. It's just like what kind of words was inspiration? Would you like to kind of fire everybody up without there um, to leave? Oh, turn off the news. <laughs> no, turn off the news. Live the life of a chiropractor. Don't live through the lenses that the public and the and the policies of the public want you to believe in. Be a chiropractor. We were built to be so abundant and successful and, and capable that you just have to get back to that and, uh, and, and just love life because you, you can't believe it. For whatever reason, we all fell out of this, fell through this, this wormhole that is called chiropractic and it's the best thing on the planet. 
That's I, amen. I, I I concur. Who who knows how we got here, but we got here. I have no idea, but it's, I woke up and I was in Oz one day. What can I tell you? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks a lot for uh, for joining us. I really appreciate that. I love working with you, Don. Have a great day. And everybody out there, um, you know, hope you got some good information uh, on this. And uh, and don't forget, till next time, shift on. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've received value from this episode, please share this with a fellow chiropractor and take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about our programs and events, please visit www.thevitalityshift.com or connect with me on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out. Thank you.